So hello everybody, my name is Stephen Puste and I am a certified healer within the Modern Mystery School, um, one of the seven ancient mystery schools of the world, and I am a certified Reiki master teacher who has been doing healing work in some form since I was about eight years old, um, but officially since I hit adulthood um, at, at the age of 18. I am really excited for you all to be joining me in this journey. Um, where I'm going to talk a little bit about forgiveness and self-love and relationships. And for me, you know, when we talk about these things, we talk about them in a capacity of like everybody just understands how to do them and that everybody understands exactly what needs to be done in order to heal from them or to accept them. And there's so much in this life that you know, there's not really a manual written that tells us how to do that. And of course, if our parents weren't good with that, which is where we learned the majority of things within our life, and then we weren't good with that, then it just cascades on and on and on. And so, unfortunately, it then begins to create these cycles and these patterns that happen over and over again to where almost no matter what we do, we start to feel a little bit helpless and a little bit hopeless. And the cool thing about this is not only is this going to be the primary topics in a book that I'm writing that will hopefully be out, um, hopefully be out this year, um, but it goes into a lot of details. This is gonna be recorded so people have access to it. And I'm very, very excited about the content so without further ado, I'm going to kind of jump in and my story takes me back, you know, I was born in 1981 in Las Vegas, Nevada to two parents who they already had three kids. And to be honest, they were not looking to have another one. They had told me from a very early age that I was a mistake, that they had two girls and a boy and that was enough. And then four years later, poof, here I came. and. Growing up, my parents were into a lot of drugs and alcohol. They were true children of the 70s um, and 60s and 70s, and they really did enjoy free expression of love and free expression of, you know, drugs and alcohol and all of those things. And so growing up was really interesting and really difficult because when you've got parents who are trying to take care of you and they're constantly under the influence, you know, they don't always make the best decisions. And my parents were um, really good at not making the best decisions. And I lived, of course, with my parents and my grandmother. Um, she was also an alcoholic with the rest of my family. And, you know, growing up knowing that you're not wanted in a relationship and a family already starts off very difficult and really puts you to a point where um, it affects your self-worth at a very, very early age. And I came out quite different than my sisters and my brother. Uh, they were all into martial arts and sports. And, you know, my, my sisters were very tomboyish and really enjoyed doing a lot of, you know, boy activities at that, at that point in time. And here I came out, I was, you know, into singing and dancing and, and all of these other things. And my family didn't know how to handle me. So they didn't. And I grew up with most of my life being in front of video games because they didn't know how to nurture my development. They didn't know how to help me. 
So the thing that they did, which made the most sense for them, was to literally put me in front of the TV and to walk away. And, you know, that really began... That began some trying times for me because, you know, my father being an addict and an alcoholic um, was very quick to temper, was very abusive. And so already feeling not wanted in a family where they were very expressive that you were not wanted in the family and then having these physical abuses to where, you know, you're beat so bad you can't sit down. And I know, of course, back in the 80s and, and earlier than that, that's a story that a lot of people have, but it adds to this lack of self-esteem and lack of feeling wanted. And so, you know, growing up in a household with my sisters and my brother, uh, most of them just wanted to escape as well. It was not easy. So by about the age of five, my parents had split up and I went and lived with my mom. It was me, my sister, my brother, and my mom. And she had kind of met somebody else, met them in a bar, and it was a really good situation for her where she at least felt like she had encouragement and she had love. And it unfortunately began a nightmare for me. Um, there was a lot of physical and sexual abuse from my brother. We never liked each other. Pretty much from birth, we just didn't get along. And then, you know, I was abused by the other siblings in the family because they didn't understand me and you know to a point where some of the things that would happen and I'll go into a lot more detail in this in the book but I was literally duct taped and tied to a chair and thrown in a closet and this happened so regularly and so frequently that during the day after school that was that was just everyday life and then at night I was being sexually abused by my brother and it got so bad that literally at the top of my head, I started to go bald. And when I went to the school counselors and was explaining what was going on, they understood that it was just nerves and said that, you know, I just had to get over what was bothering me. And it was really hard because when you're constantly being abused day in and day out, already knowing that you're not wanted in this family, you, you don't know where to go as a kid. And so it got to a point where um, my mom decided to move with her boyfriend up to uh, Michigan. And the good part about that was is I finally got through to where I didn't have to worry about um, the abuse anymore because my brother wanted to stay with my dad and my sister, <coughs> she had just had a child. And so she was, they were all staying in, in Las Vegas and we were moving to Michigan and so I thought that was going to be really great for me, but unfortunately, because the drugs didn't stop with my mom, um, a lot more abuse ensued, and so I was constantly um, talked down to and told that I was stupid, and all of these, you know, very fundamentally flawed things to a point where I would even be locked outside in the middle of winter because my mom wanted to get high with, with the family, and so again, you know, growing up without this sense of love, without this sense of worth. I never necessarily doubted that my parents loved me, but they just had a very strange way of showing it. And so from that point in time, um, my mom began to get sick and I ended up, you know, alone at a very, very early age. My mom passed away when I was 14. And there was a lot of things that were very unspoken between us, a lot of um, unforgiveness 
towards her, towards my brother, towards my dad for leaving us, towards pretty much everybody. And it it fostered into a lot of physicality where, you know, I was 240 pounds before I even got out of high school and continued to have a lot of issues. Um, I thought I was actually retarded until I was 16 years old and found out that that wasn't the case. Um, I went to a psychiatrist after my mom had passed and when things weren't going well with my dad and my brother, because I ended up having to live with them after she had passed. And they they came to me and they, they said, you know, well, why do you think you're you're retarded? You know, this is the shrink. And I said, well, I've, I've always been told I am. I've been told I'm stupid and I'm, I'm dumb and, and all of these things. So why would I believe anything different? I, I always failed in school and, and I didn't succeed very well at anything other than really video games. And so I did. I thought I was um, very, very unintelligent for a long time. And so they did an IQ test on me and a few other tests. And they came back and they said, well, your IQ is in the, in the 130s. So, you know, why would you think that you're stupid? And I was like... I've never known anything different, you know, coming from an unwanted home, coming from this, coming from that, coming from, I, I wouldn't have known any different. And so it wasn't until I was 16 that I, I even had a glimmer, a small glimmer of being more than I am. And so from that point in time, I really began on this, this journey of, you know, I lived on my own. I went into the military. I had been studying metaphysics for a long time. I even went to school to work on becoming a pastor and all of these things. And, and I would talk to these spiritual gurus and these spiritual leaders about how do we forgive? How do we forgive? How do we forgive? And I heard a lot of things that made sense, but, but they weren't helpful. You know, oh, well, you just, you just got to forgive to, to forgive. You know, you got to forgive for you, not for them. Um, well, you got to forgive them because Jesus forgave you. Um, you know, well, forgiveness is, you know, it's like um, drinking poison or, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping other people die. And and a lot of these, you know, platitudes that, that don't help us. And so, you know, I finally got to a point in my life in, in my mid-20s where I thought, okay, I've moved past some of these things. I'd forgiven my family for for the issues you know i've read a lot of really good self-help books um you know you can heal your life by louise hay i've been been studying and praying and all of these things and so i thought that i had achieved forgiveness and I, I was very excited for that and then one day i'm living in northport florida and me and my other half are on the way to the grocery store and i get a phone call from my brother and he starts talking and he's you know because we while we've never necessarily been friends, we've always tried to remain in contact because that's family. And I got this call from him and he says, hey, you know, um, do you have a few minutes to talk? So we start talking and he's telling me that, you know, he knows that he hasn't always been the brother that I needed and that we haven't always been really super close and that he wants to ask me for forgiveness for all the stuff that happened through all these times that it was pretty much survival of the fittest. And if he saw what they were doing to me, he didn't want that. So of course, you know, he participated. And meanwhile, you know, all of this is starting to bubble up with inside of me and I'm starting to get really upset to a point where he says, you know, so I'm asking for your forgiveness for you to forgive me for, for not being the brother that you needed. And at that moment, it's almost like you can hear the snap inside my mind 
of how angry I really am. Because who on this planet do you think you are after physically and, 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 and sexually abusing me and allowing people to do these horrible things to me? Who do you think you are to be able to ask for forgiveness from, from me? You, you have no right. You have, there's no way that this is an okay thing. And so being the, the good Christian boy at the time that I was, I, I, I say, you know what, you know, it's, it's no problem, bro. I, I forgive you. It's all, it's all done. And that. We end the conversation, and for the next hour, I am yelling and screaming, going off the hook, in the car. Who does he think he is? How on earth could he forgive me? And my poor partner, you know, we're, here we are at the store trying to get groceries, and I am having a nuclear meltdown because all of this stuff that I had just put behind me, not forgiven, but just put behind me, all of a sudden now came full frontal in my face where I had to deal with this and I was upset because now you have a clear conscience but the damage that's been done to me still exists. And that's where I really started this journey of okay, after 20 plus years of having these horrible relationships with my family and not being able to have really let these things go, what do I do? So I start asking everybody, I start looking up for books, you know, how do you forgive people? And again, no good answers and no, no manual. Like everybody just assumes that we understand how to forgive. And so I, I began to, to kill myself trying to figure this out. Like, I mean, it literally became a quest of forgiveness and how to handle this in a way that I could, I could actually be free of it, actually let it go. And it wasn't until years later, um, until I was in my, my early 30s, that something blossomed when I was talking to somebody a little bit about um, grief. And I don't even remember what honestly brought the conversation up, but we started talking about grief and how, you know, accepting everybody is of, of what we go through when a person in our lives that we're, we're close to dies. And it got me realizing that when a person hurts us um, in, in a major way, like let's say a partner cheats on you or, you know, physical abuse as a child or whatever it is, um, it's this huge thing and, and a part of us dies inside. Not not really, but it does. We we lose this relationship with this person. We lose this relationship with ourselves. And then we're never allowed to go through a grieving process. When my mom died, the very first thing everybody said to me was, you know, you're you're gonna get angry, you're gonna be sad, you're gonna have all of these emotions, you're gonna have all of these feelings. And I didn't I felt okay to have them. I, I didn't feel like I had to hide any of these emotions. But when I brought it up that I'd been being sexually abused, everybody was like, well, you know, it's over. You just have to forgive them. I wasn't allowed to get angry. I wasn't allowed to go through any of the processing stages. I was just immediately supposed to go from pain to forgiveness, from pain to, to healed. And it, it doesn't work that way. Um, we, we don't just heal from these things overnight. Now, that being said, in the book, I'm going to talk about 
some of the different types of hurt that we go through as as people. And, you know, the first one I always talk about is really the non-existent hurt. You know, maybe somebody accidentally stepped on your foot, you know, when they were walking, walking by, or maybe somebody cuts you off in traffic. We don't really remember these things even into the next day because they're they're little, they're minor. They they don't hold any baggage with us. They don't hold any any weight with us. They're just little little hurts. And then we've got some you know slightly larger hurts, um, which you know which I call um, they're really trusting hurts. Okay, like a friend says, you know, I can't see you tonight because um, I'm I'm not feeling real good. And then you happen to bump into them, and we're all out and about. So, you know, that that hurts us, but obviously we're able to get through that pretty easily, um, unless, of course, we have deep-seated trust issues. But for the most part, we're able to get through stuff like that pretty easy. Um, you know, those those small white lies, not that I encourage those, but those are things that we can get over relatively easy. You know, you have a quick argument with somebody, you have a, a fight with a friend or something, um, and then you make up, and, and all is usually good. It's something that may stick with you for a couple of days, but we usually let go of. And then you have the big hurts, those life-changing, soul-splitting moments that kind of redefine the course of our life as we know it. And those can be anything from abusive relationships to cheating partners to, um, you know, even major accidents. Um, there's a lot of things that define that. And there's no clear-cut definition on how it's going to affect you. Um, similar to like grief affects everybody a little bit different. There's no clear cut, but you you know it by the way that you feel it. Are you is it something that didn't bother you at all? Is it something that you were able to let go of very quickly, or is it something that happened 20 years ago and you're still holding on to, that you still feel that hurt and that pain? And one of the things um, there's an amazing writer by the name of Dr. Joseph Murphy who writes one of my favorite books called The Power of the Subconscious Mind. And he talks about how um, you know you've forgiven somebody when the sting or the pain of the incident no longer exists when you talk about it. And that really got me to thinking of how many times we relive those moments over and over again when we talk about them. A lot is, is unfortunately the truthful answer. Um, because I know I have relived some of these stories a thousand times. So I finally kind of started to realize that forgiveness and the, the stages of grief go hand in hand. And because we're isolated into this box, into this prison of unforgiveness, um, we don't move past it very easy. So the first thing that I'm going to say is, is when we have these moments, um, and it can be things, again, from 20 years ago, did you ever process that as a real emotion? Did you ever process that as a real thing within your life? Because if the answer is no, then and you're still carrying this, then maybe it's time for you to allow yourself, to give yourself the permission. And if you can't give yourself the permission, take this as the moment where you're being given permission to allow yourself to feel and to process this. Because just like in grief, one of the things that we go through is anger. We are angry at this other person for what happened. We are angry if there was another person involved. We are angry at ourselves that we allowed it to happen. 
And we are so angry. And we hold that day in and day out. And we swallow it. And we don't allow ourselves to feel it. They talk about people who develop cancer. And they talk about the resentment and the negative emotions that they hold with inside themselves. And it applies the same way when we talk about being hurt. We don't process the anger. Now, that doesn't mean that you want to live in the anger. Okay, if you really haven't processed these emotions, you want to give yourself about 15 minutes. 15 minutes to process it. Anything above and beyond that, <coughs> excuse me, is no longer going to be processing an emotion or processing a feeling. It's going to be getting into the negative ego, into the negative emotion. And it's going to cause bigger issues because you're, you're starting to live in that moment. Now it becomes a sense of satisfaction that I'm allowed to be angry. You know, when, when I really started to handle the forgiveness from the situation with my brother, I broke things. Now, granted, they weren't expensive things and they, they were things that I was set aside to break. Um, you know, I, I yelled at the top of my lungs. I screamed. I let it all out. And, and I literally spent about 15 minutes of time. And by the time I was done with allowing myself to let that go, it was like the weight off of my shoulders. Like I could physically feel my shoulders loosen up from allowing myself to let the anger go. And so that was really the, the first part of this is in the in processing. Okay. In, in the stages of grief, we go through, you know, bargaining, we go through denial, um, we go through anger, we go through um, until we finally get to the final stage of acceptance. And when we get hurt and we cut these people out of our lives, or we have these moments where we no longer want them in our lives or want even ourselves in our lives, it's because we haven't processed, you know, or we start to make these stories for other people about, well, you know, they, they only hit me because they loved me. I hear that so many times. Oh, well, they didn't really mean it. That's not what they really meant. And it becomes the cycle. You know, well, but they're they're so good to me in so many other ways. You know, um, they they take care of the house, they take care of this, they take care of that. So you know, and and maybe I shouldn't have made them angry. Like we we get into this little bit of a denial uh, with bargaining. Like it's kind of a twofold, where we make these excuses for other people. And the one thing more often than not that you know in, in this in this bargaining, in this denial, that I find that people really want is why? Why did this happen to me? Why did they do that to me? If I just understand their why, I'm, I'm okay with it. And, and here's one thing that if you take nothing away from today in all of the issues that you've had, if you take nothing away from today, the why will never make you feel better. The why will never make you feel better. Because 
what answer would we really accept within the why? Why did my family tell me that I wasn't wanted? I mean, would I accept the answer because they didn't love me? Would that make me feel any better? I mean, on a lot of levels, I already felt that way. So would it make me feel better really knowing that that was the why? You know, why? Because, because, because. But the why, no matter what the reason is, is never going to make you feel better. As a matter of fact, if anything, this is one time where the truth will not set you free. And I say that because it doesn't matter. Because we don't need the why. Okay, as we've gone through this process of getting angry and, and making these, these, of telling these stories in our head and, and replaying this over and over and over to a point where we kind of finally just get to the end, whatever, it's fine. No, it's okay. I got this. You know, I'm good. You know, that, that irrational acceptance where it's almost just like, we've stopped caring because we've hurt so badly. And that's not a good place to be either because it's more denial. It's, it's more denial, except for it's one of those where I had thought I had given up and, and gotten rid of all of these issues. All I did was, was throw the ball and chain behind me. Now I'm not staring it in the face, but it's no less weight that I'm carrying with me. It's no less baggage that I have. It's still the ball and chain. I haven't released myself from the prison and gotten to true forgiveness or true acceptance. And it's, it's not an easy process every single time because so often we feel as though we're owed an explanation or because we're so hard on ourselves. So, how do you know when you've actually allowed yourself to process through this, this, these phases of, of, you know, being in unforgiveness to get to forgiveness? How do you know when you've truly gotten to forgiveness? I mean, the pain from the situation no longer exists, but aside from that, how do we know that we've, that we've actually reached forgiveness? And, and for me, that was really a difficult question to ask. How do you know you've actually forgotten somebody? Or forgotten, not forgotten, but you've forgiven instead of just forgotten. How do you know? Well, for me, there was, there was two ways. The pain in the situation was really one of them. But the, the second thing that that came through that was the most important for me to know that I had truly forgiven somebody was that I was able to go that extra step and forgive myself and that I no longer blamed myself for the situations that had happened so when you finally get to this this freedom of forgiveness the two things that have happened are you're no longer affected by the pain of the situation. Now, a caveat to that is it's not that you don't still 
hold that person accountable. It's not that you don't still put yourself in a situation where um, you can be allowed to be treated these ways, but it's it's truly forgiving them and truly forgiving yourself. And forgiving ourselves is sometimes so much harder than forgiving the person that hurt us. Because, you know, growing up, I expected, um, I lived with a dad who was a hustler growing up, you know, he worked in the 70s, and I was always kind of taught not to trust people. So growing up, I expected that people were going to be untrustworthy, and they were going to hurt me, and they were going to do these things. But when it happened, and then I was stuck holding the bill of how could I be so stupid to allow this to happen? How could I be so ignorant to allow this to happen? How couldn't I have caught this? How couldn't I have known that this was going to be the situation? Forgiving me was harder. Because in the mindset that I was already in, people are just going to hurt you. So when I got to that point where I was able to tell the story to help somebody, not to relive it, and then forgive myself. The day that I realized I had forgiven myself and I had let myself go and told myself that this was no longer my fault, I, I cried so hard because I let it go. And, and I allowed myself to know that it wasn't my fault. Now, saying all of that with forgiveness, and I, and I know it's a difficult process, and I know it's, it's not easy. It's worth it, but it's not always easy. As I used to go through this, it, it brought about kind of something that I didn't realize. Um, people who know me know that I'm an extremely confident person, always have been. Um, I'm the best at whatever it is that I do. I always put my, my best foot forward. I'm, I, I've really come a long way in a lot of those issues. But it wasn't until I had started this journey um, about a year and a half ago in uh, this, this program that they call Universal Kabbalah. That's through the, the mystery school. And they always talk about how, oh, it's like 10 years worth of therapy inside of 10 months. And I'm like, right, sure it is. And so I started on this journey through Universal Kabbalah. And, you know, we do all these really neat things. Like we work with manifestation and we work with, you know, healing up our foundations. And then you get into, you know, working in in this area called Tiferet, which is, is the heart in the Tree of Life. And it's a lot of inner child work and a lot of working with Archangel Raphael. And there, there happened to be this um, incident that I, I realized I didn't love myself. And of course, the, the revelation actually made so much sense to me because as a child who grew up feeling so unloved and feeling so unwanted, how... I was able to give so much love, but how I, I would have been able to love myself is, of course, would have been a miracle. And so coming to this realization um, that I didn't love myself was kind of mind-blowing. And 
the the first thing that really came from that was this crazy acceptance and just being okay with that. Like, you know what? Hey, look, I know who I am. I'm a great guy. I'm a wonderful person. Um, I'm compassionate for the most part. You know, I do have a little bit of a temper that I've been working on. But I mean, overall, I'm, I'm a great person. And you know what? If I don't love myself, that's okay. So again, the first thing that I went to do is, is ask everybody, you know, how do you love yourself? You know, I mean, I understand the concept of self-care, you know, um, exercising, eating right, going for walks, you know, hanging around good people, loving animals. You know, I, I get self-care, taking time to meditate, taking time to just, you know, decompress and relax or doing things that we love. But self-care, while that is very helpful in loving ourselves, is not self-love. So how do we do we love ourselves? And I feel like it was kind of funny because I got a lot of the same um, information that I got with forgiveness. Well, you just you, you just love yourself like you you get to know yourself, you build a relationship with yourself and you, and you go through all of these things. And it's funny because it all sounds like such an easy process. Like everybody's just born loving themselves and everybody's just born, you know, with with these understandings of forgiveness. Eh, wrong. That is not how this works. And it it started to bug me a little bit. So I started doing a lot of work with the Archangel Raphael. And, you know, saying, Hey, look, I, I don't I don't understand how to do any of this. Like I wasn't loved as a child. I haven't loved myself through all of this. I've I've had specific relationships that were very unloving. So like, I don't even know where to go from here. Like, how how do I love me? And it was it was hard. It was very hard. So one day, and and this story for many many years held a lot of pain. Um, but one day when I was a kid, I was about. Um, well, back that up. I was doing work with Archangel Raphael and I, I was doing a meditation with him and asking him to help me to love myself and to understand why I don't love myself and, and where I can heal these areas of my life. And so I come upon this memory that at, for a long time I had forgotten that showed me myself when I was probably four, maybe five, and I had an accident. Um, and my mom, to teach me a lesson so I would not have any more accidents, uh, made me wear my crappy pants on my head for the rest of the day. And that is not a made-up story. That is a legitimate truth that happened to me. And so here I am in this memory working with Archangel Raphael and I'm just like, w this is not helpful. This is not helpful at all. Why are you showing me this? And the Archangel says, well, you, you, you see yourself as, as you are. And I'm like, this, this is horrible. So he says, then, then change the situation. So in this, in this meditative experience, I, I go over to myself and I, you know, I take the pants off of myself and I begin to clean myself up 
And I go through this whole process of being very kind and compassionate. And after I've cleaned everything off, I'm standing there looking at myself and I embrace myself, my inner, my, my child, myself as with this huge hug <laughs> and we start and I start just bawling and I start asking myself for forgiveness and I start asking myself, um, you know, uh, apologizing. I'm so sorry that, that this happened to you. I'm so sorry that I wasn't there to take care of you. And as I'm going through this whole situation, um, with the Archangel Raphael, he's, it's, it's coming clear that one of these moments, one of these things that are going on in my life is one of the primary reasons why I'm having such a horrific problem in my life with perfectionism. I can't make a mistake. I'm not allowed to make a mistake. And that people who can do that to their children, that there, there's, there's, it was a punishment that did not fit the crime. It was something that I'd held on to. But in this moment, there was a second where I realized that I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to look at, at myself as a child and begin that healing process of, of loving the self. And if I couldn't love myself, I could at least on an external level, love the inner child, love this, this vision of me. And it was, it was so profound because for the first time I felt actually freed of the situation. And it goes on even a step further to where Archangel had finally set a tray before me after I had finished crying and said, you know, if this is something that you don't want, give it to me. And so I, I did, I gave him this, this memory in, and I said, I, I don't want this pain anymore. I don't want this situation. And he said, now give me everything else you don't want. And I remember going through my index of all of these extremely painful moments that happened in my childhood and, and giving them away. And the cool thing was, is they were taken to a place where I, I couldn't just go back and pick them up. Like a lot of times I've, I've let stuff go and then I'm like, Ooh, but you know, I, I'm going to pick that back up because I liked that. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite done with that. In this case, I was really able to let some of these things go. Now that wasn't all of a sudden poof. Now, now I love myself. It didn't quite work that way. And <clears throat> there was still a lot of work that ensued over that because, well, how do you make a relationship work? Well, you know, you, you've got to love um, the person that you're with. You've got to want to get to know them. You've got to want to talk to them. You know, you've got to want to take care of them and want to help them. And, and there's this whole level of desire into relationships. And so when it comes to self-love and self-love of ourself, we have to really work at the relationship with ourself. And so I had started to do that in, in a lot of ways. I started eating better. I started um, doing a lot of the self-care things, but I started really building that relationship with myself and going through these moments and these memories and, and changing it. Now, I know that that doesn't physically change the past, but the energetic connection that I had to all of these situations, um, one by one, I was able to start changing and able to start um, really going through this alchemical process with it um, to to change the way my world was shaped.
And it was hard and it is hard. And the self-talk, the way that, you know, I think about myself and the things that I say, or, you know, standing in front of a mirror and telling myself that I love me while looking myself in the eyes. Like these are all things that helped. Um, the mirror exercise is by far being an actor. I, I can lie to myself, but when you are really being honest and you are standing in front of a mirror and you look yourself in the eyes and 10 times in a row, you say, Steven, I love you. By like number four or five, you can't hold it anymore and you just start crying because there's such a level of not loving ourselves. And and so many people um, feel that way because if you're not shown love and you don't know love, then it's it's so hard to become love. And then, of course, this this world operates on on very you know, specific principles as above, so below, as within, so without. So stop and think about that. If we've got all of these resentments to everybody and all of these moments of unforgiveness, then what do we manifest more in our life? Unfortunately, we manifest more reasons for unforgiveness. When we don't love ourselves, then what do we manifest? We manifest people that are incapable of loving us. And so it, it really becomes this big ball of what the hell. And, and most people don't ever know what to do from there. So they drink, they do drugs, they have sex with every single person they encounter, or they do what a lot of other people do, and they just pass on those abuses and those issues that they had growing up. And it just becomes a pattern. And now, you know, we went from this generation having it to this generation having it to, we've now passed it on to another generation. And of course, with each of that, it gets stronger and stronger and, and more locked into our DNA. Now, that is not who we are. Because as we are children, or babies, babies, the world is all about them. They they cry when they want something, you know, they cry when they need something, they cry, but it, the whole world revolves around the, the child, the baby. And yet, they are the biggest ball of love that you'll ever see. And because of growing up and because of the pain and the situations that we encounter, that gets, that gets lost. And we forget that we are no longer these amazing divine beings, that we are, are still God, that God is, is within us, God is us. And we become what the world makes us become. Now, some people, by the, by the grace of God, literally, are able to overcome these things really easily. And they don't carry these emotional scars or these emotional issues with them through their life. And, and to those people, like, hats off. That is amazing. 
but not everybody can do that. I I thought I just, you know, like a dog, you know, just kicked some grass over it and kept walking. But I never let it go. And I never let it go, and I never let it go. Until all of a sudden now it's this huge daunting mountain over me with so many other things. That when I had to confront it, it, it took a lot of energy and a lot of work. Now, all of that being said, you know, I still, it was probably eight months from the, the realization of, I don't love me, to understanding that I really did. And it came from this amazing experience um, at the very end of our Kabbalah retreat um, that we do. At the end of what was supposed to be 10 months but turned into a year and a half, there was a moment where I was standing before my higher self, before, before myself, um, as if I was exactly like I'm supposed to be in the eyes of God. And I remember that my higher self walked over to me and he put his arm out and he touched me right in the heart. And I already in this, this situation, in this scenario was feeling unconditional love. Like the love of your mother, the love of your father, love of your child by a million. Like it was like literally being just blanketed in love, in God's love, in that agape love. And he puts his hand on my, my heart and he says, I love you because you love you. And in that moment, I cried harder than I've cried probably since my mom passed when I was 14. Because it was the first time in all my years that I felt that that statement of loving myself was true. Now, I know that there is still a lot of work to go. And I know that there's still a lot that I need to do and a lot of healing work that I need to go through. But getting to that point where I could have that feeling was one of the most impactful moments of my life. And really has now created within me a desire to want to change. Because when you really do love somebody, like what are the things that we want to do? You know, oh man, I really love this person, so I want to go out and lose weight. You know, oh, I really love this person, so I want to do this, and I want to do that. I want to do all of these awesome things. And you begin to actually fall in love with yourself all over again. But for some of us, for the first time. You know, and, and, and really think about that for a second. Take a moment, and, and you don't have to answer this question out loud, but take a moment and think inside your mind. What are the stories that you tell about yourself? Are, are you smart? Are you dumb? Are you amazing? Are you ugly? Are you sexy? Are you funny? What are the descriptive words 
that you tell yourself and not what you tell yourself to other people and not if somebody were to come up to you and say, hey, how would you describe yourself? Not like that. What is the honest truth? The honest thought in your mind about how you talk about yourself. And then once you've come up with that list, it could be short or long, give yourself a second to think about the relationships and the people in your life. Do they feel the same way about you? Do you have people who are always making cracks about your appearance or your weight? Do you have people in your life who joke around and, and say something really, really hurtful and go, oh, but you know I love you. Really take that moment. Because if the world operates on the hermetic principles of as within, so without, your story, what you tell yourself every day about yourself, I guarantee you, is the book of your life. It's it's what you see on the external. It, it, it has to be because these are universal principles. These are things that are true everywhere. So if you don't love yourself, you're probably having people in your life who are incapable of loving you. If you don't have forgiveness in your life or are unable to forgive yourself, then you probably have people in your life who you constantly have reasons to be unforgiving with. And so I say all of that to, to back up just a second because <clears throat> I, I had to go through some of the relationships in my life and think about this. And so I grew up not being loved or not feeling loved. And so, of course, not loving myself. And then I realized that I've always dated people who were unavailable, who, you know, didn't want to be with me for me who wanted to be with me for what I could do for them. I always dated people who would tell me, you know, I, I don't even know why I'm with you. I'm not attracted to you. I don't, I don't actually love you. I'm just, I'm just with you. And it, it started to get to this point in the story where, you know, I noticed that all of the relationships and all of the people that were around me were really exactly what I didn't want. You know, to a point, and I, and I joke around with this, and, and my husband knows this, but I even say, you know, I, I met him, and he was completely safe, which is what I wanted, but very non-expressive. And he, you know, doesn't go out of his way to shower me with I love yous, and he doesn't go out of his way to be super affectionate. And it's, it's really part of just not being who he is. And having been diagnosed with Asperger's when he was young, like there's a lot of emotional things within himself that he's just not overly outwardly expressive. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that he loves me, but it, it sort of made me realize that I'm even married to a person and have been in this relationship for 13 years that doesn't reflect, um, you know, the way I feel about myself. Because at the time that we met, I didn't, I didn't love myself. And so I chose somebody who kind of allowed me to feel that way because they weren't touchy feely. They weren't outwardly expressive. They're not overly physical, you know, all of these things. And so legitimately in our relationship, all it did was sort of send a, another signal to me saying, you're not lovable. This person doesn't love you either. 
again, I know that that is one million percent not true. That this person does absolutely love me. At the drop of a hat, we move across country multiple times. You know, we're in an amazing relationship. We're best friends with each other. And for the most part, it's, it's a great relationship all the time. But then I have these insecurities and when they are fed into by, by my partner, it creates these moments. And so I have to go back and look at what I'm projecting out there, what I'm projecting to get this relationship the way that it is. And so I have to, it all starts here. I really have to reach within myself to show the love that I have for myself. Because, because realistically, if I love myself truly, wholeheartedly, and completely, then I don't need anybody else to love me. It's, our, it's already there. It's already, I'm already taken care of. So anything above and beyond that becomes really a bonus. And yet when it doesn't come that way, because of the way that I begin to think, I blame it on the other person but it has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with us. And so it really moves us forward on this journey of self-expression of, you know, if they always say you are who you hang with, or, you know, if you want to stay poor, hang around poor people. If you want to get rich, hang around rich people. And that makes perfect sense because if, if you want to get healed, don't hang around more broken people. You want to hang around people who are on a journey of healing. And that's really what I've had to do. And so as I've undergone some of these changes, I've started to realize my worth and, and what I deserve and what I want. And as I give that to myself and as I provide that within myself, I then manifest that externally in the out, outward realm, in, in my family, in my friends, in my relationships, in my employment even because it all starts with me. And so whether it's understanding forgiveness and allowing yourself to process through that, whether it's understanding that maybe you don't love yourself and that that's a relationship that you have to build on through going through some of these previous emotional, emotionally damaging things to let them go to realizing that all of the relationships that are in your life, that it all stems from, from what we believe about ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. Um, my guide, Barbara Segura um, out of Naples actually says something uh, regularly that's, that's pretty funny. If, if you walk outside today and 10 people hit you, is it you? Or is it them? Is it your fault or their fault? And everybody always hates when she does that because of course we always want to say, well, it's their fault. You know, if they wouldn't have been in such a bad mood that they wouldn't have hit me and yada, yada, yada. But if 10 people did the same thing to you and treated you the same way and you got the same result, I gotta tell you, and it hurts me sometimes to say it, that it's you. It's me. It's not everybody else. Um, Louise Hay actually says something incredible that talks about how 
Um, if you end up in an accident with another person, you know, is it your fault? Is it their fault? Well, it's actually both your faults because you were both at the exact same vibrational frequency and those frequencies had to meet. It's like magnets. Okay. If you're in a good mood, do you notice how you usually only encounter people who are in a good mood? If you're in a great mood, you especially typically only encounter people who are in a great mood. Or if you're in a bad mood, all of a sudden everybody's in a bad mood. The whole world has clouds over it and it's, it's a horrible, horrible place. Because we attract that energy. We manifest that energy. We manifest those situations. And so it, <clears throat> excuse me, it really becomes, it really becomes hard for us to understand. And what I say when I said it becomes hard for us to understand, it becomes hard for us to accept that all of this, that all of this comes from us. And that was the thing that, that when I first started reading her book, I actually threw it in the trash. And it's such a funny story because um, in the very beginning of the book, she goes on to talk about how every single thing that happens in your life, everything, is your fault. And, and I, I took a second to think about that. How is everything that happens in this world my fault? That's impossible. I didn't make my family do these things. Heck, I didn't even make them make me be born. That was all them. So how is any of that my fault? But the more I thought about it and prayed about it and meditated on it, the more I found that she was probably right. And so I picked up back her book again, and, and of course I was going to read the book now to prove her wrong. That I'm going to I'm going to write this lady and show her just how horribly, awfully wrong that she is about that this is my fault. And every step I made into the book not only showed me how right she was, but showed me how now that I understand that I am the creator of these things that now I can identify them and I can fix them. And that, that is where the freedom and the joy of all of this comes from. Because it is 100% freeing. It is 100% liberating to know that just because it exists in your life, it doesn't have to stay in your life that there are ways to get around all of this and to let it all go. Because if you don't like where your life is at this moment, you can change it. As a matter of fact, in all honesty, you are the only person that can. And I say that not to cause blame, but I say that to give you hope. Because if you don't like where you're at right now, we've been there. I've been homeless. I overdosed twice. I tried to commit suicide once, twice, if I'm being honest. I've had a near-death experience because of one of those overdoses where I wasn't able to come back for a lot longer than I'd care to admit. I've lived in a car. I've lived in a hotel. I've not had an address for many, many points in time in my life. 
I've been in great relationships, bad relationships, been physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused. There was a lot of years where if you would have asked me, my life sucked. And I'm not saying that every single thing that happened was my fault in the respects of I didn't deserve some of those things, but because my vibrational frequency just happened to be at a certain level, it could only meet people who were at those same vibrational levels. And then I was able to, to understand what that meant and how to change things in my life. And at this point in time, I'm happier than I've ever been because I have a business. It's a brand new business. It's a healing business, ancient mysteries, healing arts center. And it's, it's actually doing very, very well. I'm working a job, um, in computers that I love as a supervisor. I have an amazing partner. We just celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary. I mean, I have a house that is fantastic. I have literally everything that I can want. And most importantly, through all of this, I began to find me, the real me, the, the person whose identity I've been looking for for a long time and not the person whose personality I'd become, not those external masks, not those external moments. I finally found me. And while there is still some baggage that I've held on to, cause I haven't been ready to let it go. The amount of stuff that I have been able to let go of using some of these techniques has been absolutely amazing. And it only took me 39 years to get there. But the cool part is, is that means the next 39 are going to be even that much better. So I hope that you have enjoyed being here with me today. I hope that you have had the opportunity to really learn something and that this has given you just a taste of the book that's coming out and that you will continue to, you know, follow me. Um, there's a lot more work that's here to be done in Springfield, Missouri, and, and I'm very excited for that and bringing light into the Midwest, which is something I felt so called to do for so long. Um, that I just want to say thank you and, and please know that you are loved. You are awesome. You are amazing and you deserve the best. And I look forward to seeing each and every one of you, um, in the future. If you do have questions, you know, please feel free to write them in the comments. Um, contact me directly, uh, via ancient mysteries, healing arts center, or my own personal page, Stephen Puste. And I would happily, um, share my information with you as best I can. Um, and help you throughout this uh, next period of your life until my book has actually come out. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.